Well, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. It's good to see you. Thank you. I was about to say, and I'm sure it's good to see me too, but thanks, Kim. I appreciate that. Not that I'm insecure or anything, you know, that I need affirmation or like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're family now. We, uh, our oldest daughter, Hannah, married Paul, who's Kim's sister, so brother. I'll get there. So, wow, what a week. Aren't we glad that we serve a God who's unshakable in his kingdom? In fact, I want us to turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to start here. Aaron read this out in the, the first service, and I just, just can't sort of shake it. Can't, no pun intended. Can't get, rid of, can't get it out of my mind. But wow. I love worshiping Jesus. And we know that worship is more than singing, right? You know, Actually, the next chapter of Hebrews, it says that praise is a fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And, uh, and Paul says in Romans 12 that the spiritual act of worship is actually to offer up our bodies as living sacrifices. And so I love in those moments where we get to experience and encounter God with singing and we're, we're full, of, full of his love. But more than that, more than just singing, what we're doing is we're yielding our bodies and offering ourselves up as living sacrifices to him and that is our true worship and um and actually this passage that we're about to read now also talks about that i'm just going to read from hebrews 12 verse 28 um oh, we can leave actually read from verse 26 hebrews 12 26 at that time his voice jesus father the god's god's voice shook the earth but now he has promised, yet, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire." Come on, what a great passage of Scripture. That there's, I'm just so grateful to the Lord that we have a kingdom that is not of this earth and that cannot be shaken. You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians that the, that, the, um, that the temporal, the things that are seen, the things that we see with our eyes, those things are temporal, they're passing away. But what is uh, un, un, unseen, which is the eternal realm, which is the place where God dwells, those things last forever. And what God is doing in these, he's all, you know, he's doing amongst us is to shake us. It's to shake the nation and shake the nations. And it's interesting even having friends in other parts of the world who are kind of shaking even about this U.S. election. And God is shaking us as a nation and God is shaking um, the order of things. And he's demonstrating and showing to us that actually we live in a kingdom that is unshaken unshakable, full of glory, and full of goodness. And so Paul says, oh, the, sorry, the writer of the Hebrews says this, let us be grateful. Let's be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let's take a moment. Why don't you just express to the Lord right now, Jesus, thank you that you brought me into your kingdom, and your kingdom is unshakable. 
That's good. That's good to, that, that is what Paul, this writer to the Hebrews says is actually acceptable worship to God. It's to honor him in the shaking. It's to honor him in everything that's going on. It's to honor him because he is the consuming fire. He is the God of glory and he's the God of majesty. And so my job this morning or this afternoon, I feel, is just really to remind us of a few things. You know, part of the job of a preacher is, you know, the the Bible says that we all have the anointing. Those of us that know Jesus, we have the anointing on the inside of us and that anointing teaches us all things. But I want to just encourage us in a few little things this, this afternoon about how we respond in this season of shaking. And the first point is that we should be grateful. Grateful not because of the shaking, but grateful because of what God has done for us in transferring us out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, the son of his love, the one who loves us unconditionally and is full of grace and favor towards us, always leaning towards us in his love and his goodness. And this election, this what's happening at the moment, this whole Ferrari of, you know, allegations that are going around, all of those things, it has not shaken God. It hasn't. He's still on the throne. He still rules over all things. He's the God above all things. He, you know, he's above all political systems. He's above Democrats and Republicans. He's above all of those things. He's high and seated above. And I love how in uh, Psalm 119, it says that God sits enthroned in the heavens and does whatever he pleases. And that should make us laugh. Not because he's capricious, but because he's loving And he's working all things out for his purpose in a conformity with his goodwill and his good pleasure. So in other words, he's not upset or, you know, uh, wringing his hands about it. It's all in accordance with his good will and his pleasure. And he's working all things for our good as well, for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So we can cheer up if we're feeling sad. And if we're feeling happy, well, be happy in the right thing. Don't just be celebrating because your party won. Be celebrating because we are in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Come on, that's good news. I love it. And so I felt like the Holy Spirit this morning, um, well, let me back up. Last week I, I spoke from 1 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul says, writing to his son Timothy, and he says that I urge you, not just like I, I want you, but I urge you that actually you would make prayers and supplications and uh, entreaties and thanksgiving for all people, including kings and people in authority. It is our responsibility in God to pray for our leaders, right? Not, because, not just because now the one, that's the one that we like is in there or the one that we don't like. It's because that, that is actually what God has called us to do. And his passion for that, his purpose in that is A, because it's pleasing to him. And B, it's because he actually wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of who he is. And so he's, the, the, the implication of that prayer, that command in 1 Timothy chapter 2, is Paul saying is how we respond is actually really important to how people come into the kingdom or not. And so I want us to turn to um, Mark chapter 11. And as I was preparing, I just felt the Holy Spirit speak to me three things. I don't know whether we'll, we'll get through all three things today. I think we will. But the, th- the three things were this. Have faith in God. That's the first thing. And we're going to look at Mark 11 in that in a minute. The second thing was, do not let your heart be troubled. And we're going to look at John 14 verse 1. And the third thing was, love like crazy. Love, love, love. We're going to look look at John chapter 13 in that. 
But let's look at uh, Mark 11 at the moment. I want to read from verse 20. But I, before I do that, give, let me give you some context. Jesus has just, he's been, he went into Jerusalem. It's what we know as the triumphal entry where he went, walked in. He was recognized as king by the people. They all put their palm branches out. They laid their cloaks out. He rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and everyone's going crazy. This is the God, son of God, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. And he goes in, he looks around, he comes back. But as he's coming on the next day, he sees that there's a fig tree. So he goes over to the fig tree and he wants some food and there's no food on the fig tree. And so he curses the fig tree. Not that I think he was angry. I think there was a, there's a sort of object lesson for all of us in here, right? And he goes out, goes to the temple, cleanses the temple, comes back again. And as they're passing, we pick up the story in uh, Mark 11, verse 20. As they, Jesus and the disciples, passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi or teacher, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father, who also who is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. What a great word. Jesus, I think again, it's not, it's not that he was angry with the fig tree. I think it's an object lesson for us. He wanted to give his disciples and therefore all of us an, a lesson on faith and the power of our decree, the power of our faith in God. And so he starts off with this. He says, as Peter says, hey, look at the fig tree. Jesus doesn't talk about the fig tree. He says this. He says, have faith in God. If there's ever a word we need to hear right now, it is have faith in God in God. Don't have faith in a political system. Don't have faith in an individual becoming president. Uh, don't have faith in um, the, the world system. Don't have faith in our economy. Don't have faith in our healthcare system. Don't have faith in, uh, in even in our own self, in our own strength. Don't have faith in this church. Don't have faith in our religion. Don't have faith in our good works. Have faith in God and God alone. Have faith in God and God alone. And so let's unpack that thing. The, root, the word faith, actually for the root word of that, is, it means to persuade or be persuaded. To be persuaded. To have faith means that you are persuaded about something so that you cannot be moved. Okay. And that faith, the Bible says, is a gift of God. I just love that. I love the fact that faith, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says this, For by, faith, by grace you have been saved through faith, this not of yourself, but it is the gift of God that no one should boast. So just before you think, well, I'm cool because I've got faith, remember that your faith is not your own faith, so you can't boast in your faith. That faith is what? It's a gift from God. That's why Paul's able to, uh, Peter, sorry, is able to say in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, he says, as he's writing to the Jews, he says, to those who have the faith, the same faith as us, talking about the apostles, you and I, we have the same faith of the, as the apostles. Why? Because it's not our faith, and it, just like it wasn't their faith. Faith is a gift from God. 
And so faith is a gift. So Jesus is saying, have faith in God. That faith is, in a sense, God's divine persuasion in your own life. It's God's divine persuasion that who he is is who he says he's going to be. And it's a gift of God, not of ourselves. It's also, according to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, a fruit of the Spirit. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And we know from Romans 10 verse 17 that faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Ephesians 3, 3 says, Paul says, I receive this revel- the mystery by revelation. Faith came because the word of God came to us. So it's, a gift of, it's the gift of God. It's not of ourselves. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And it comes by hearing. It comes by revelation. What we listen to is really, really, therefore, important. Are we listening to the world to get our opinion about what's happening? If we do, we're going to end up in what the Bible calls doubt. Because Paul, Jesus goes on to say this, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. How do we get to doubt in our hearts? Well, that word doubt actually means to separate things out, to take a look at those things and to judge them and to bring them to trial, to separate something out and then um, and make a distinction between it, make something more superior than the other. So doubt is not an absence of belief. What it is, is it's taking the truth and what we see about the truth in our natural uh, environment and making that truth higher than God's truth. And we've separated it out and we've made a judgment. And so doubt is, if, we, if we're listening to this world, if we're getting our information from the news and from social media and from just you know, listening, we are going to be filled with fear. We're going to be filled with anxiety about what's going to happen. We're going to be filled with anxiety about the outcome. But God has already breathed his life into us. And if we hear the word of God, if we read the word of God, that's why it's so important to read the word of God and and to actually sit and bring our thinking under the word of God. I actually like to sit sometimes in in my quiet time and just sit with my Bible over my head. I, people must think I'm, well, no, there's nobody there to see me, but sometimes if I, people saw me, oh, they must think I'm weird, but what am I doing? I'm exalting the word of God over my own thinking. And my Bible says that God is going to win the day. My God, my Bible says that Jesus has already overcome, that we are going to overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, not loving our lives unto death. Our God, my Bible says that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Saviour. And so we need to look and we need to feast upon the word because if faith comes from hearing the word of God and not just hearing but revelation of the word of God, then read the word. Be students of the word. In fact, I like to read the Bible out loud. Why? Because I'm not just hearing it in here, I'm hearing it here. Because my own voice is speaking to my head, speaking to my ears, and I'm hearing the word of God. And faith builds that way. It's not that faith is something that we can conjure up. Faith comes by revelation. And I want, uh, so that's the first point. The second thing is to look at what the object of the faith of faith is. Jesus says this, have faith in God. Don't have faith in circumstance. Don't have faith in what's going on around you. Don't have faith in your ability to make things happen. Don't have faith in your ability to work it out. Have faith in God. He is the source of the faith, but he's also the action. The, he's the focus of our faith. You know, when we have, a, have faith in a particular outcome, 
we actually end up in trouble because we appoint a particular outcome and when we don't get that outcome, we get disappointed. But if we have faith in God and we, our eyes are fixed on him, the Bible keep, you know, continually, Paul reminds us, keep your eyes up, fix your eyes on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Paul's writing these things in the most wicked Roman system possible, right? The most wicked, ungodly system. But he's still saying, get your eyes off the surroundings, lift your eyes up to heaven. Have faith in God, not in the outcome. And here's the thing about faith. Faith is proved by our works. James chapter 2, verse 20, it says this, faith without works is dead. How do we know that we have faith? Because we act on our faith. If we don't act, it's actually just wishful thinking. And so what's Jesus saying here? If you have faith in God, I want you to listen is what he's saying. Whoever, who is whoever? It's whoever. You know, sometimes we can think that faith is reserved for special people, anointed people, people that are more significant and more senior than us. And well, someday we're going to get there and we're going to build up enough faith to get to that point. But Jesus is just saying this, if you have faith in God, well, whoever. There's no qualification. There's no bar. Like, you know, you have to do X, Y, and Z to get there. The, the qualification is you have faith. That faith is a gift from God. So if you have the gift of God of faith on the inside of you, that faith is operating on the inside of you, then step out and do something. Right? I'm just reading the word of God here. Whoever says to this mountain, so the second thing we want to look at in terms of the action of faith is it's, there's no qualification, but it does require us to do something. It requires us to say something. It requires us to speak life, to speak to situations, to speak and to cause God, to cause that thing to move, right? Because what we're doing as we speak is we're demonstrating our faith in God. There's a difference between belief and faith, right? The devil believes in God. Faith is the fruit of God working on the inside of us. And when we have that faith and that belief ignited together, that belief, we, when, it's under, when our belief is underpinned by the word of God and the power of God, actually we step, we're able to step out and act in amazing ways. We've been told by the prophets and others, you know, that this decade is the decade of the mouth and that we're to speak and God's going to move and we're going to shift things. And here's the, here's the order of things. Our hearts, because faith comes from hearing, our heart has to be convinced by the word of God. When our heart is convinced, our mouth possesses what our heart is convinced of. And so we're to have faith. We're to have faith in God. And I love how God, as, as we have faith in God, I love how God responds, right? So let's look at verse 23 again. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, and I, as I was preaching the first service, I, I, don't, I, I said, I don't think that I've, ever, I've seen in Scripture again any instance of um, a fig tree being withered or a mountain being moved, moved, physically moved in Scripture. So I, I, I don't know that Jesus is trying to set up a theology of how we curse fig trees. Right? I don't think he's trying to set up a theology of how to move Mount Everest. He's saying, but he's using that word as a, a literally uh, as you know, the mountain, as the thing that seems the most immovable. 
And somebody came up to me afterwards uh, and said that there was a story in about 1600 AD when um, in Egypt where the, the, the Islamist, Islam Muslims were there and, um, and they, they were saying, show us if your God is true and good. And the Christians prayed and literally the mountain elevated and sun came under the mountain. That's what I was told. So there's, he wanted me to point that out. So there you go. Faith does amazing things. Okay. And it's to have faith in God. And look at, so, be taken up and thrown into the sea. It does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass. It will be done for him. So, faith starts with God. It's birthed in our hearts from, by God. It's ignited with our faith, with our, our belief. If we don't doubt, we begin to speak out. It's like we roll up. Jesus said, if you have a little seed of, like a faith, like a mustard seed, you can say it in another translation. You can say to this mountain, move, or another story. It's like we have that little mustard seed of faith. We roll ourselves up to that mountain. And we look up to God, we look at the mountain, we look up to God and we say, God, would you move this mountain, please? And it says here, he will do it. It's not based on our ability. It's God who does the moving. And therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. And whatever you stand forgiving, forgive. So I just want just to unpack that really quickly. Here's to say this. First of all, let's hear God's heart. He says... Jesus says, therefore, I tell you. And he's, we need to be convinced that God is for us, not against us. We need to be convinced that God loves to answer our prayers. And we need to be convinced that it's not about our own effort or our own groveling or our own going down into the dust because he loves to hear his children because he is a father, he's a good father to us. In fact, Karis came to me in the middle of, uh, just at the end of worship, and she just said, I feel like God is reminding us that it's a, the simplicity of the reality that we, that we have a Father in heaven, and he has made each one of us sons and daughters in his, in his heart, in his love, and we live in his smile, we live in his happy thought, we live with his affections always coming to us, and that is enough. And so we've got to hear God's heart. Elsewhere he says that, you know, he's going to give not just a scorpion or, you know, when we ask for bread, but he's going to give his, what we ask for. So hear God's heart. We're going to pray whatever you ask in prayer, Jesus says. Believe, have confidence, be persuaded that, you've, that you have it. Receive, that, therefore, what he says will come to pass. Lay hold of it. It's going to be done for me. And then forgive. Pray, believe, receive, lay hold of, Forgive. And we're in this season where we need God to break through. We need God to bring peace to our nation. We need God to bring righteousness and justice into the very foundation of our government. And I'm not picking sides here. That is just the truth. We need God. We need his righteousness. We need his justice. We need his love because we are so divided and so uh, so fragmented and so fractured as a people, as a nation, we need God to bring his peace and his unity to us, right? Even within the church, we need that. The one place where we shouldn't ever have to experience that. And so we need to pray. We be, be, let us express our faith by praying. Let us not just express our faith by praying, but let's express our faith by acting. So the next thing I want us, I, I felt God was saying to us was this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Let's turn to John 14, verse 1. Jesus is about to go to the cross. Peter has just told him, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus has just said to him, actually three times you're going to deny me. And they're 
all, they're in all manner, I would imagine, of, of, of discombobulation, of fear, of anxiety, because Jesus has been talking some scary thought, talk about how he's leaving and how he's going to be crucified, and they must have been really anxious. And Jesus says this in chapter, one of, chapter 14, verse 1, to his disciples, let this speak to our hearts as well. Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me or believe in God. Believe also in me or rely on God. Rely also on me. Be persuaded in God. Be persuaded in me. Do not let your heart be troubled. And it's very easy in a time like this where we could experience the troubling. I mean, it's just in the atmosphere, right? just feels this anxiety, this kind of static in the air of what's going to happen. How is it going to respond? Is, is there really fraud? And if there is, what's going to happen if, if it gets reversed? If, if there's no fraud and, and, and is, is you know, the president going to acquiesce? What's it going to look like? How's it going to go? What's going to happen? And there's all this anxiety that we can be flowing around in. And Jesus is saying this. And maybe it's not even about the politics. Maybe it's about your job. Maybe it's about a relationship that you have. Maybe it's about a you know, son or a daughter that you're worried about. Maybe it's about your own health. Health. It's just a whole range of things that we can get our hearts troubled in. And Jesus' word to us is, guys, don't let your heart be troubled. You've got a good father. Trust in him. Have faith in him. Let the action of your heart, let the action of your faith not just be for prayer, but let it settle that which is currently disturbed within you. And that word troubled, it means to agitate. It means to, to shake back and forth. It's this. Right, if I want to drink it, I, I hold it still. If I want it to settle, I hold it still. But in our hearts, we're shaking and, we're, and if we're shaking and we're agitating, we're going to and forth. We're going to and fro that which should be still. Our hearts, because we're in Christ, should be still. Because we've inherited an unshakable kingdom. And so, when I, I like to ask these questions of my own self, of myself in these moments, if I experience, you know, it's easy to read this verse and say, oh, don't let your heart be troubled. Yeah, I won't let my heart be troubled. And then trouble comes along. And then your heart's troubled. And then you've got to think, ah, uh, okay, what is going on? You know, I've said this before, but, you know, the remember this, that somebody I heard once say that the measure of our understanding of the Father's love for us, and I would add, and our position in the kingdom in the fact that we're his beloved sons. The measure of that, our understanding, our revelation of that love is measured by how much joy and peace we live in in our lives. In other words, if we believe that God loves us and he's for us and he's going to take care of our needs and he's always happy to be with us, then joy says God's happy to be with me. I can be happy no matter what the circumstance or I can rejoice whatever this is a difference between joy and happiness uh, this, or if God is with me and he's going to take care of all of my needs and I can live in peace because I know that he's going to be okay uh, everything's going to be okay because he's with me and so the question is in, in that moment where my heart is troubled I have to ask the Lord Lord why is my heart troubled what does my heart need to know that I could experience the joy and the peace that you walked in in the storm because Jesus himself calmed the storm that he was in. And he was anointed with the oil of gladness above everyone else. He was the most joyful one. And he's the one that's living on the inside of us. And so if we don't live in that level of joy and peace, there's something that's blocking us. If we're living in a place of trouble, and the Holy Spirit loves to move blockages out of the way. He's a specialist at it, actually. 
when we ask him to do that for us. So do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. I love Psalm 2 in these moments. You know, Psalm 2, it says something along the lines of this. It says, why do the nations conspire? Why do the people's plot and get in vain against God? The God who sits in heaven, he laughs. He derides them. And he says, I've installed my king on my holy hill. Do not let your heart be troubled. God is on the throne. God is the God of love. God is with us. And the final thing that I felt like God wanted us, just to remind us, and again, this is just by way of reminder. I hope I'm preaching to the choir. I sure, I'm sure I am. Is Turn to John 13, just a few verses back. In verse 34 and 35, it says this. This is Jesus talking. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Jesus' command, he's about to go to the cross. He's about then to be in ascending to heaven after the resurrection. He's about to be glorified through, after going through the cross. And his words to us is, listen, guys, I've got a new commandment for you. Here's my commandment, love one another. And here's the standard of that commandment, just, as, just like I've loved you. That's a massive standard. How did Jesus love us? Perfectly. He gave his life for us. He didn't judge us. He doesn't judge us. He walks with us. He walks alongside us. He provides for our needs. He's always full of grace and mercy to us. He's always leaning in towards us. He loves us unconditionally. He loves us even when we were his enemies. Christ died for us. He loves us even though we hated him. He loved us. And so Jesus is saying, guys, you all, myself included, you all, we, you need to love like I've loved you. Love one another like I've loved you. Just as I have loved you, love one another. And by the way, this is how everyone's going to know that you belong to me. Because you love each other. And in loving each other, Jesus says earlier in Matthew chapter 5, he says, don't just love the people that you find easy to love. Love the people that you find difficult to love. Love the people that are your enemies. In fact, the quality of love, the test of true love is not whether we love the people that we love, but whether we love the people that agree with us. Or, but actually, it's whether we love the people that disagree with us, that don't hold our values, that don't like us, that actually would consider us as enemies that speak out against us and are angry or whatever. I find it so troubling, to be honest, that I've spoken to people who have both, you know, both Republican and Democrat persuasions and, and thoughts, and one side will say to the other, I cannot believe that they consider themselves Christians for believing that. And the other side will say, I cannot believe that they think themselves Christians because they believe that. How have we made politics more important than love? How have we made being partisan more important than unity? How have we made the reality that we're called to love and that God is on the throne, how is that subservient to who becomes president or vice president? 
We're going to lift our eyes. And I'm not belittling those things are important and we're to pray for those. We're to pray and we're to be active and we're you know, to fight for what we believe in and we, you know, we, and we pray for what we believe in. And we, you know, but we've got to live in love. We've got to live in this place. We don't have to, but the invitation, God's desire for us as he pours out his love into our hearts. If you're struggling to love a Democrat or a Republican, what you need is actually the love of God to be poured into your heart. Romans 5, 5, that the love of God has been poured. And that word poured isn't just a little trickle. It's like a Noah's Ark deluge. It's a North Carolinian thunderstorm of love by the Holy Spirit into our hearts. Love one another. Friends, family, let's love. Let's love with radical obedience. Let's love with reckless abandonment. Let's love even when it costs us. That's love because God himself is love. And when we live in love, we're living the essence of who he is. I want to invite you to stand. Now, if what Jesus said in, math, in Mark 11, is that whatever we ask for, we should pray. Whatever we ask for, we should believe and we should receive and believe that we have it and then walk in forgiveness. It'd be a good thing to pray, wouldn't it? It'd be good to pray for our nation right now and to pray for justice and righteousness to roll through, to pray for peace, to pray for healing, to pray for the kingdom of God to break forth, for the will of God to be done. So can I encourage you, take a moment, let's lift your voices right now. There's great power in agreement. There's great power in speaking it out. Jesus didn't say, anyone that thinks in their mind, this mountain move, it'll be moved. Jesus said, anyone that says to this mountain to move, it will be moved. So let's speak out right now. Ask the Lord for him to move, for his righteousness and justice to roll forth like a river. I, I love some, um, Isaiah 59. And it, in Isaiah 59, it says this, that truth has faltered in the public square. And God looked and he said, There's, is there nobody to deal with this? And then he looked and there was nobody. So he armed himself with strength and he clothed himself with righteousness. And he stepped out and he moved and he said that, 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 that even though the enemy comes in, the spirit of the Lord will come forth like a flood. And then he says, rise up. Up, O church, rise up, O people, rise up, O nation of Israel, rise up, rise and shine for the glory of the Lord shines upon you. Thick darkness covers the earth, but the glory of God overwhelms you, overshadows you. The glory of God rises upon you, and kings will come to the righteousness of your dawn. Princes will come to you, and the wealth of the nations will come. And so, Lord, we ask God for your kingdom to come in this nation. God, we ask for your will to be done in this nation. We ask that righteousness and justice would roll forth like a mighty torrent and sweep away all darkness. God, I thank you that the light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, I ask that you would shine your light into this nation. Lord, that we as a people would come to a point where we realize that it's not about an individual, it's not about a party, but Lord, you would bring us to the point where our eyes are firmly fixed upon you. Lord, we ask that you would bring revival to this nation. Lord, we ask that you would change the hearts of the people towards you, God, that they would see and experience you in your fullness and your 
beauty. God, we ask that on that place of revival, Lord, that place of people experiencing and encountering you, Lord, that there would be a great reformation to this nation in the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, we pray. We pray for our president, Lord. We pray for president-elect. Lord, we pray for your righteousness and your joy and your peace and your wisdom to come upon them. Lord, we pray for peace in this nation, God. We pray, Lord, whatever the enemy is meant for good, Lord, would you, for, for evil, would you cancel that out and make it for good in Jesus' name. Lord, we come against every principality and power and authority and dominion and every name that can be named. And we declare, Jesus, you are the name that's above every name. You are the name above every name. And we declare that at your name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord of all. And so we declare, Jesus, that you are Lord over this nation. Kingdom of God come. Let the peace of God come. Let the healing of God come. Let the love of God come to bring about transformation in this nation. And Lord, I ask that you'd start with us here in this church. God, I ask that you'd fill us with your faith, that our eyes and our hearts will be firmly planted upon you. Lord, I ask that you would fill us with hope against all hope. That passage in, in um, Romans chapter four, where Abraham, it says of Abraham that in hope against all hope, he believed and he was strengthened in his faith as he gave glory to God. Give him glory, church. Give him glory. Give him glory. Give him glory. Give him glory. Give him glory that he's the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the sustainer. He's the one that upholds all things by the word of his power. He is the beginning. He's the one that holds the keys of death and Hades. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. Give him glory. Come on, lift up your voices and just glorify Jesus. Give him your glory. Give him glory and honor. Give him glory and honor. Reverence and awe. Reverence and awe. Reverence and awe. Uh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Just let your song arise. Let a song arise. Jesus, you're the King of kings, you're the Lord of lords, you are faithful and true, you are God. 